probably one of the most common complaints we have is heartburn or gastric reflux. But how many of us fully aware that this can lead to some more serious conditions? My guest today is the president of the Gut Foundation, Professor Terry Bolan. Professor, thank you for coming on to the program with me and welcome to the program. It's a pleasure, Iris. Let's start with heartburn. Does it have anything to do with the heart? Nothing, except the pain from heartburn can mimic that of heart pain. But usually it's a burning sensation that rises up in the chest behind the breastbone, comes on particularly after meals, often when lying down at night, and has a number of um, triggers, particularly fat, caffeine in any form, so that's coffee and, uh, and cola drinks. Um, many people attribute it to eating rich foods or overeating, drinking too much alcohol, smoking, and all those in combination perhaps with stress. So it, it's common, and about half the community will experience it at times, and usually it's mild, but uh, in many people, it occurs much more frequently. And when it does occur more frequently, and that's at least twice a week, then you need to treat it more seriously than with something like antacids. Is it also known as gastroesophageal reflux disease? It is. That's the professional title for it, is it? professional term. I mean, heartburn is what we all understand by it. Uh, it is, in fact, reflux of the contents of the stomach up into the esophagus. So if the, if the stomach contents stay where they are, it's not a problem. But it's usually the acid in the stomach that, that causes um, the damage to the, to the lining of the esophagus, which is much more sensitive to acid than the lining of the stomach. And there's little valve at the junction of the esophagus and stomach that normally keeps the acid where it should be. But if that's weakened in any way, um, and, the, and if there's a little hiatus hernia where a part of the stomach pokes its nose up through the diaphragm and weakens, physically weakens the valve, then acid can more, more easily escape. How serious is it by the time the symptoms have started to present themselves? Well, in the beginning, it's, all, it's, it's not necessarily serious. It can begin at any age. It can begin in infancy um, or through childhood. Um, there's some recent evidence that young people are very sensitive to acid and at the other end of the spectrum as we get older and particularly in, in women who are somewhat older um, they can have more severe symptoms and more severe problems in terms of ulceration. So when the acid escapes if you look into the esophagus um, with an endoscope you may see nothing and if you take a little piece of tissue from the lining the pathologist may see footprints of acid that have left their mark there. Uh, a proportion of people will have ulcers and some of those can be really extensive and the pain doesn't necessarily match the problem so that you can have severe pain and nothing much to see or not a lot of pain and discomfort and quite severe ulceration. Sometimes pregnant women complain of heartburn um, is this mostly because of the way the baby sits and it's sitting close to the stomach? No. In early pregnancy, um, it's a hormonal change that weakens the valve. And then in later pregnancy, it's probably a combination of the hormonal change plus the, the, the pressure of the baby. And that's in part mimicked by people who are 
uh, overweight so that we recognise that obesity is one contributing factor and that's one of the reasons it's going to remain a problem in the community which as it ages becomes a little uh, overweight. In the ordinary things of uh, run of things, how serious can it become if it's left untreated? If you've got chronic ulceration there, we believe that's one factor that can lead to cancer of the esophagus. So uh, long-standing ulceration leads to a change in the lining of the stomach, which is called Barrett's esophagus, named after uh, a South Australian surgeon called Barrett. And that change, when it's identified, is uh, pre-malignant. So that needs to be... uh, kept under surveillance by frequent endoscopy every year or two and intense uh, suppression of the acid uh, so that you stop the ulceration and prevent it uh, getting any worse. If it's treated early enough, um, can it be cured? We don't know. We know that we can heal the ulceration and stop the progression of the of the Barrett's esophagus, but that means taking... Um, usually bigger doses of of acid suppressors um, forever. So if you're going to treat heartburn, there are really three levels of of treatment. The first is antacids, might take for very minor symptoms that occur infrequently. Then there are uh, medications um, called hydrogen receptor antagonists that have been around for many years, Tagamet, Zantac, Tazac, uh, pepsidine, and they're the sort of pre-odor of acid suppression. And then there are the Mercedes, which is uh, Nexium, Losec, Somac, Pariet, Doton, uh, and they're all very similar in, in, in strength and intensity. And uh, once you start on those, and if you need them for Barrett's esophagus, then you may need to take them twice daily to keep the acid under perfect control. You still have enough acid to digest your food, but not enough to damage the lining of the stomach, of the esophagus. Do you think with Australians, especially the men, that they tend to shrug it off and sort of put up with it rather than do something about it? Well, men shrug everything off, and we know that um, the vast majority of people do nothing about their treatment, so that only 20% of people with heartburn will take a prescription medication and the others either take nothing or rely on over-the-counter products. So I think it's something we should think about more seriously and if you're needing to take antacids frequently or over-the-counter preparations frequently, then you should seek the advice of your doctor. Maybe consider having an endoscopy to get a baseline of what is there because this is often a lifelong problem and you need to be able to identify in the beginning whether you have ulcers or nothing very much to uh, to worry about. Could you explain to, to all of us exactly what an endoscopy is, please? Well, it's a, we have a look into your esophagus with a, with a flexible tube and we see a picture of your esophagus come up on a video. So normally you'd be given some very light sedation so that you drift off to sleep. And then we, you swallow this flexible tube and we can inspect the lining of the esophagus and stomach and duodenum, take biopsies, little pieces of tissue through there to see if there are other changes of inflammation, any changes that we suspect as Barrett's esophagus also have particular uh, changes that the uh, pathologist can identify. 
So it's a very simple procedure um, and you don't necessarily need it done frequently unless you have this condition Barrett's esophagus. Overall, it's fairly painless. Totally painless. Mm. You don't even end up with a sore throat because the little thin tube slips easily down through the back of your mouth into the, uh, into the top of the esophagus and then it proceeds downwards. You're listening to Wellbeing and I'm talking today to Professor Terry Bolan. Professor, what's the difference between gastroesophageal reflux disease or GORD and a peptic ulcer? Well, peptic ulcers are slowly disappearing. They used to be much more common than reflux disease. And in large part, they're due to little bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. That was the one that won the Nobel Prize last year for Professors Marshall and Warren from Western Australia. And Helicobacter in the Western world is slowly, slowly disappearing. So that in people who are let's say middle-aged, between 40 and 60, still about 40% of us will have that bacteria. And you've probably acquired that in earlier life, probably in childhood or your teens, and you don't know that it's there unless you've got an ulcer. The things that cause ulcers these days now, particularly medications like arthritis medications and aspirin. So if you're taking an arthritis tablet and aspirin for your heart, and you've got helicobacter, then you are at your risk is greatly increased six to eight times of developing an ulcer, and that ulcer may bleed or perforate, um, and if it bleeds, it carries a mortality. And we're lucky in Australia that the mortality rate is less than 10%. In overseas countries in Europe, um, it might be as high as 15 or 20%. So. You need to be careful about considering any medication like an arthritis tablet or aspirin without knowing whether you've got this little bacteria and we can check for that with a simple blood test. I guess what I was going through my head as you were saying that is that if we do have people listening who are on both those medications for arthritis and the aspirin that they don't really need to panic as such. But if you if you fall into a high risk group and that's mm. over the age of sixty five, if you've had a previous ulcer, if you currently have indigestion, or if you're also taking these medications, then it's wise to discuss um, with your doctor the risks because you might not know you have an ulcer. In the olden days, ulcers used to be painful. But when you're taking um, an, an analgesic, and that's what these non-steroidal arthritis preparations are, they control mm -hmm. pain, then you often don't have any pain and don't recognise that you have an underlying problem until it bleeds. Gourd and a peptic ulcer, are they treated in much the same way? Yeah, precisely the same way. Mm. Um, gourd is treated with, with an acid suppressor, um, as is an ulcer, but we also like to eradicate that helicobacter if it's present. Um, the fact that people tend not to treat their symptoms has the major economic impact in the sense that they carry um, a burden of disease that reflect like poor quality of life uh, that might also impact on the way they uh, can work so that if they're kept awake at night by their heartburn, 
They might get to work late. They might be troubled by their heartburn during the day. They might need to leave early. So that's another good reason to treat this uh, promptly because the medications are very safe and very effective. And I don't think you should put up with any symptom that, uh, that's going to be troublesome to you if we can treat it easily. How many Australians do you reckon have um, a problem with their heartburn and what have you? be around 40%. Now the vast majority of those would have mild problems but as we get a little older um, the potential for there to be ulceration becomes greater um, and so it's uh, if you develop heartburn in, in middle age or later life I think that's another good reason to, um, to consider an endoscopy and decide how severe it is and what level of treatment you're going to need. You mentioned about people working and having problem going to work because of the discomfort or whatever. How much does this affect the overall economy through loss of production? You know, what effect does it have on the on the population in general? Well, Access Economics has recently done an estimate of that and reckons it's, it's around the level of $18 billion per year. Now, the majority of that is reflected in your quality of life and that impact on your way of life and that in turn affects the way you work so that you and your employer are going to um, bear the major burden of the, of the financial cost. Um, the smaller cost goes to the government for, for the medication so if you're going to have a prompt treatment then the government's contribution will necessarily increase. But at the moment, it's, it's borne by the community. The treatments, the, the medication that are used to treat the condition, are they very expensive? Are they available on the National Health PBS? Or they're available on the PBS. Although, if you need one of the uh, one of the Mercedes preparations, uh, that has to go through the authority system, um, and uh, because they are expensive, and um, we usually try simple therapy first, which is lifestyle advice. Uh, are you overweight? Are you doing anything that, that's going to trigger your symptoms? Um, should we try a more modestly acid-suppressing agent first of all, or do we start off with a proton pump inhibitor, um, the Mercedes group, and, and then work down to what is the smallest dose? So there are two schools of thought, but um, they do carry a cost. And so we need to find the lowest dose of medication that is effective to control the symptoms. But if you've got ulceration or Barrett's esophagus, then you're going to need the higher dose, more potent preparations anyway. If you get the, the, the condition generally under control by whatever means, if you decrease or stop taking the medication, will the condition reoccur? Yes, it may do, um, and probably will, so that many people take their medication on demand, so to speak. They take it for a few days, stop the medication, if the symptoms come back, they take it again. But if you have been shown to have ulcers in your esophagus, then it's my belief that you should not stop the medication because your symptoms don't necessarily tell you about the severity of the underlying problem. Can have quite 
severe symptoms and nothing to see and not much in the way of symptoms but significant ulceration that needs long-term continuous treatment. And obviously this can only be done with very professional outlook. Yeah, you need, yeah. You need, mm. you need your general practitioner and often the, uh, the periodic use of a specialist. You're listening to Wellbeing. Professor Terry Boland, President of the Gut Foundation, is my guest today and we're talking about reflux and peptic ulcers. Apart from the odd advert over the, for over-the-counter products, it's only recently that we've started to see more detailed information about, I'm thinking of the advert that's on television at the moment where the fella is sort of laying back beside the pool and uh, they're suggesting that people get more professional treatment for it. How long has it taken us and us being the general population to really become aware that it is something more serious than just a, a pain in the chest? Oh, it's been a very slow process. I think uh, one of the triggers has been the recognition that um, that cancer of the esophagus has been on, on the increase in, in men in the Western world in the last decade, and that's made us look more carefully at the impact of acid reflux and the development of, of ulcers in the esophagus that we think might be a cause of some of those cancers. It's not to say that, that heartburn carries a great risk of cancer. It does not. But if you are found because you've got frequent symptoms on endoscopy to have ulceration, that's one of the reasons we suggest that you have continuous treatment that's going to keep that, that ulceration healed and if it remains healed, that greatly reduces your risk of developing cancer. Is it fairly recently that the medical profession has been aware of the seriousness of these conditions? I think it's a, it's a gradual change that's occurred over the last 20 years. Um, reflux seems to be much more common as peptic ulcer disease has slowly disappeared from the community or is disappearing, um, reflux has become more common and whether that's because uh, of our lifestyle changes, we may be eating more in the way of fat and consuming more caffeine, we might be more overweight, get less exercise, um, have access to bigger meals and all those things are going to carry uh, carry their, their own their own risk of, of aggravating your acid reflux. Does it run in families? Well, it does, but it's so common it's often difficult to dissect whether it's a familiar, familial thing or not. But it's so common to ask, uh, has your mother or father suffered from a hiatus? And it, no, I don't know about that, but they're always taking antacids or pills for their indigestion. So it's very, very common. So it's not necessarily if, if mum and dad have got it that you're going to have the same problem, obviously. I think if they've both got it, then your risks of getting it are greatly increased, but it's common anyway. Mm. Does stress play a part in all of this? In the surveys that we've done over the last 10 years, two separate surveys, people have attributed stress um, to about 50% of their, of their symptoms. But that's often in together with the other problems of dietary factors like mm -hmm. fat, caffeine, overeating, alcohol and smoking. So it's a, it's a basket of problems that, 
that contribute rather than stress just alone. If someone feels they should seek medical advice because of the symptoms are getting worse, is it easy for a doctor to diagnose and how soon after seeing their general practitioner are they likely to end up seeing a specialist? I think their general practitioner can, can diagnose it very quickly and give them some treatment and see that the, that the symptoms disappear and then if they're treated for a couple of months and the treatment stops and then the symptoms come back again, then that's probably the time that, uh, that they need an investigation through a specialist. And the, the idea is that if they go and see a specialist, he'll, having checked what medication they've been on, he then goes to a, an endoscopy and, and continue from there. Yes. He identifies mm. the problem, uh, sends the patient back to the general practitioner with the advice about long-term treatment. So if there's nothing remarkable to see on endoscopy, then clearly treatment can be intermittent and on demand. But if ulceration is found, then treatment needs to be continuous and probably lifelong. If there are people listening and they want to know more about these conditions, both the, the gourd and the peptic ulcer, is there somewhere that they can go and get more information, like on the, on the web? Well, they can go to the web um, and the Gut Foundation has um, a website and that is... Um, www.gut.nsw.edu.au um, They can also email the Gut Foundation that's gutfound g-u-t-f-o-u-n-d at gut.nsw.edu.au Well they can phone the Foundation on 9382 Professor, thank you so much for giving us the information and for giving us your time. Perhaps sometime in the future we'll get back to you again, find out some more about gut problems. But in the meantime, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure, Iris. You've been listening to Wellbeing, and on behalf of the team, this is Iris Nichols thanking you for listening, and we wish you well.